And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for The Athletic and the host of Atlantic and Coastal. Coming back for another week here, post-Thanksgiving. And we got a post-Thanksgiving treat here. Matt Fortuna is back on the show. I think he is our most frequent guest on the number, show. Number so. four, almost number in the four. SNL Hall of Fame, almost. Clearly, clearly we like you the most. Don't tell Grace <laughs> that we said that. Clearly we like you the most for the moment because you're at uh, visit number four here. Uh, Matt, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us again. Hey, happy to be here, Andy. What, what, what do we have to talk about? There's, there's nothing going on, right? <laughs> nothing going on. I think we have to start with the big game last week and Notre Dame beating UNC. And I think that was probably the last major hurdle for Notre Dame in getting into the ACC title game. I know they still play. Well, they play Syracuse this week. I don't think I'm going to spend too much time on that. But they play Wake Forest after that. Wake Forest is a tricky team. But, you know, one loss Notre Dame will still get They're into in, the, yeah. the ACC. Uh, I don't think they'll trip up on that. But this game against North Carolina, 31-17 was the win. Uh, in a way, I was almost more impressed with this win than I was the Clemson one just because I've seen that, that North Carolina offense. I've seen what it can do, and Notre Dame just shut it down. After that first quarter, basically shut it down. 298 total yards, 87 rushing for North Carolina. Sam Howell, 211 passing. And Notre Dame did that without Kyle Hamilton, who got ejected uh, in the first half. Uh, we always talk about Notre Dame and, oh, Ian Book, can this offense do this? Can this offense do that? And meanwhile, this defense is just out there crushing teams. Are, are we overlooking this defense and, and kind of what the, the ceiling is with of this group? I, I think we are. I think there's a reason that uh, the Notre Dame fan base let out a, a collective gasp when Vanderbilt made a coaching change on Sunday because Notre Dame's defense coordinator, Clark Lee, is a Nashville native who played football at Vanderbilt and should be their top choice. Now, uh, the Vanderbilt athletic director has come out saying they want a sitting head coach with offensive ties. I, I never put too much stock into what's initially fed publicly when it comes to coaching searches because they're just kind of feeding red meat to their fan bases and trying to please a crowd in that regard. But, I mean, if Clark Lee is in choice A, B, and C for this job, then someone at Vanderbilt, I think, needs to take a long look in the mirror. Um, and we know there are a lot, of mirror, a lot of issues behind the scenes at Vanderbilt. But to the present day, here and now, to your original question, yes, Notre Dame's defense um, has been nothing short of incredible, especially when you look at uh, that roster. I mean, I, I'd say this with due respect to the people making the plays out there, but outside of Kyle Hamilton and Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa, um, most people probably can't name the other nine starters on that defense or pick them out of a lineup. They, I can't even pronounce they, that linebacker's name. So. <laughs> that that one you better get get used to, especially um, around draft time a couple months from now. But um, they're really, really good. And we saw a lot early on at North Carolina um, – you know, they don't have like the Clemson or Ohio State or Auburn pass rush, right? They don't put up crazy sack numbers. 
But they have a lot of quality defensive linemen, and they did a great job of rotating them in and out throughout the game uh, and keeping their legs fresh and withstanding that early uh, storm from North Carolina's offense. Because I'm sitting there, probably like you and everyone else is, watching that game, and you see Sam Howell do what he did the first two possessions, which as a carryover from the Wake Forest game, his previous outing, was six straight touchdown drives, um, excluding a kneel down. You're thinking, holy cow, like this is going to be a game. Like this is... The over-under after the first quarter of the live-in game was 83.5. Now, uh, they ended up finishing with 48 (laughs) total points to give you a sense of how quickly things changed over the final three quarters of that game. But, um, you know, we had Brendan Marks, our our North Carolina beat writer, on the Shamrock podcast post-game, and he said every game after the game, Sam Howell was, you know, hey, we were one play away, we were two plays away. He's like, this game, he just looked dejected and beat up. I mean, like, they they just got their butts handed to them. And – that doesn't happen. That was the first time in the two-year Mac Brown era that North Carolina has been outscored by more than one possession. Um, and the game really didn't even feel that close. If it, if it felt close, it's only because you were waiting for a North Carolina big play or fourth-quarter assault that they're used to doing that never came and never really came close to coming because they didn't even bother to test Notre Dame downfield in the second half because Sam Howell had so little time to really drop back and make that happen. So, um no question. Uh, the biggest takeaway from that game was Notre Dame's defense continues to get better and better. And again, Clark Lee uh, has been worth his weight in gold. It's his third year as a coordinator. He's only 38 years old, and he's going to have his second perfect regular season in three tries. And last year's team, 11-2, and isn't too shabby either. I know the paycheck would be good for Clark Lee as a head coach. Yeah, it'd probably be three or four times what he's making right now, I guess. do you want to go there? Like, whoever wins it. Here's the thing. He's, aside from being one of the smartest guys I've ever met in the coaching business, no one knows that place better than him, right? So if he is their main target, he's going to do his homework. He's going to do his research. He's going to know exactly what they are capable of or not capable of and what he's getting into. And he's earned the right to be picky, to be choosy. He was a finalist for Boston College last year, and um, th- that job makes a lot of sense. Obviously, it's worked out really well for, for BC with Jeff Halfley. But, you know, again, a small academic-minded private school where, you know, you're coaching like-minded kids, if you will, as you are at Notre Dame, as you would be at Vanderbilt. Um, so it makes sense that these are the type of jobs that are, are piquing his interest, or at least, you know, wh- whose interest he's piqued uh, in them, so, so to speak, so far. Um, but if – Hypothetically, uh, plausibly, he is the main guy and he's offered this. I mean, if he says no, I think that would, in theory, tell you everything you need to know about Vanderbilt. Um, Now, look, Notre Dame would want to keep him. I don't think – I think Notre Dame thinks about as highly of Clark Lee as you can possibly think of an assistant at Notre Dame. I think they genuinely would like him to be the head coach someday at Notre Dame. I don't think Notre Dame is a program. I don't think Brian Kelly's a coach that would ever put that in writing for an assistant because that's a place where you almost have to have some kind of head coaching experience elsewhere to be able to come back and do that job. And and they learned that the hard way uh, with the guy who preceded Brian Kelly. I say who would want to go to Vanderbilt and who could succeed there. James Franklin did pretty well well for himself there. Spinning this forward for Notre Dame, say they're 11-0 going to the ACC title game. Are they in the playoff, win or lose at that point? I mean, we keep talking about these Big Ten teams that played like five games. Like, how do you compare those two resumes? Notre Dame's played twice the schedule of that. It's, it's funny. This is more of my comfort zone. I went on a radio station in St. Louis today, and, and I got asked, well, if Clemson loses a close one in Notre Dame, are they in the playoff with two losses, given the chaos happening elsewhere? I'm like, you know, I never even thought of that. I don't think so, and I still don't think so. But th- this one's a little bit easier, I, I, I think, to handle. I, I think 
If it's not a blowout, definitely. Um, I mean, Brian Kelly, after the Boston College game, got asked about these struggles of basically coaching through a pandemic, and he turned it into a playoff pitch, which was, hey, we just, we're just we 8-0. We just finished a Big Ten schedule. Like, we're, we're doing pretty good, you know? Like, And he's right. I mean, like you said, Ohio State's not going to play more than seven games this year. And look, if the Buckeyes are 7-0, and if they play the rest of their schedule games, they'll get in. I mean, would, would that happen to Northwestern or Indiana with that record? I, I don't know. But I think Ohio State, with their brand name and, frankly, with the fact that most of these characters were in the playoff last year, uh, the committee knows how good they are and how dangerous they could be. They would put them in. Uh, now, Ohio State 6-0, and that six win does not come in the Big Ten Championship game because they're not eligible for it. That complicates things. And I think uh, through no fault of the Buckeyes, like they're the loser if they're in a beauty contest with an 11-1 Notre Dame that has a win over then-number one Clemson under their belts. Um, so... I think as long as chalk holds, Notre Dame should be in good shape. I mean, Florida upsetting Alabama would complicate things. Ohio State winning out would, would, would you know, take up another spot, so to speak. But it, it, as long as it's not a 30-3, 42-14 type game where Notre Dame looks like they don't even belong on the field with Trevor Lawrence. Um, and even then, I'm not sure that would be enough to keep them out. But, you know, you'd rather not go down that path if you're Notre Dame. I think they should be okay. And the great irony in all this, of course, is they're an independent. Like, they don't need to play that game, and they're already in for all the join a conference and prove yourself crowd. You know, like, not playing that week is more advantageous when you're 11-0 than it is to play. Uh, Now, conversely, they could lose one of their next two games and play their way back in with an extra win, but they're not going to lose, I think, between now and then. Personally, I want to see Notre Dame get to that game. I want to see them win it. I want to see them accept the ACC trophy, mm-hmm. and then I want to see them leave it on the bench like the civil conflict trophy. Oh, yeah. Trophy. We, you don't know how much <laughs> bandwidth we've taken up on the Shamrock discussing this with every single one of our guests this year. Like, what do you do with that trophy? And the other part of it is we spent so much time talking about that because it's a plausible scenario. Like, what's Brian Kelly do if he wins ACC Coach of the Year? What's Kyron Williams do if he wins ACC Freshman of the Year? You know, it'll be interesting to see. We in the media have votes for those all ACC honors. And then the coaches have their own votes. I'll be very curious to see um, the differences in voting philosophy, if you will, between the media and the coaches. They're usually not too far apart, despite how much we all complain about the other. But I think this year with Notre Dame, I think the media is going to be a little bit more friendly to the Irish than uh, than some of the people who are going to be happy to see them go next year uh, on the ACC coaching staffs. Well, all the ACC fans are saying, help us, Dabo Kenobi. You're our only hope <laughs> to prevent Notre Dame from winning this. Clemson is cruising. I mean, this is going to be the other team. They haven't technically clinched it yet, but this is going to be the other team in that game. Uh, Cruz to a 52-17 win against Pitt. It was 31 to nothing in the first quarter. <laughs> if, if, if it's a you know, 35-point win, and it wasn't even that close. Nope. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, 403 yards, two touchdowns, and what was his last game in Death Valley? Uh Jets, fan, Jets just, fans are clapping. Yeah. <laughs> is this team just like back? I mean, they get some of the defensive guys back. They get Trevor Lawrence back. He looks like he hasn't missed a beat coming in. Uh, I feel like we're, Notre Dame's going to get Clemson Clemson in that ACC title game and not uh, you know some sort of diminished version of whatever was on the field in South Bend. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think anyone ever doubted how good Clemson could be at full strength, but to see them fire on all cylinders like that after having what three weeks off yeah three weeks off and for trevor lawrence to have over a month off and to come out like that it's darn impressive i mean they're they're really good and they're getting better they i mean i think notre dame people point to oh no trevor lawrence you know notre dame you know had it easy look 
anytime you lose the greatest quarterback prospect since at least Andrew Luck, yeah, you're, you're not going to be as sharp as you are. But I don't think the drop-off I, – I think DJ Uyangalele is so good that the drop-off was not – I mean, it was – Clemson's last two games has had two different quarterbacks throw for 400-plus yards. I mean, he's a top-five quarterback in the country, even though he's only started two games this year. That's how loaded they are at that position. I think if we're going to you know get into the finer points of that Notre Dame game, that Clemson defense was absolutely torn apart. Um, they were shorthanded going in. They were gassed at the end. Notre Dame took absolute advantage of that. It ultimately wore them out in double overtime, uh, and that's how they won. So as much as we want to talk about Trevor Lawrence, and I get it, he's that good, um, the real story will be how does Notre Dame's offense do that again against a defense that probably won't look anything like the defense they face on November 7th at South Bend. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The game I'll be covering this weekend, Clemson, 22.5 point favorite at Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech is 4-5. and five. I believe they will be 4-6 and six after this game. I do not think this will be close. I think this could be uh, pretty ugly for the home team. They have Virginia after that at home, a team that they lost to last year, a team that's pretty, uh, I don't want to say scrappy because that like undermines what they've done this year. I think they're they're actually a decent team, and they've shown that the last couple weeks. Uh, I mean, it's a very real possibility this team could be 4-7, and seven, Virginia Tech, that is. Uh, that is not a record you see in Blacksburg a whole lot, and uh, I've been writing about it a little bit. Like, I don't know if this could be it for Justin Fuente. I mean, maybe. That's a big buyout. It's, it drops to $10 million on December 15th, which is the day before signing day, complicating matters even further from that. Uh, that is a lot of money for a school like Virginia Tech, especially one facing a $30 million budget shortfall at a minimum uh, this year. At the same time, the situation just kind of seems like it's getting away from him in Blacksburg. I, I'm curious as uh, somebody looking from the outside in on, on Blacksburg, uh, what is your view on this situation? It, it wasn't a scenario I had seriously considered until recent weeks, really the Pittsburgh game and, and reading, you know, 
what you've been writing and hearing out of there and, and, and trying to look in the situation a little more deeply. I mean, I th- you just talked about going back and reminding ourselves of our August thoughts about um, what we said about getting through a football season. I, I, I will play that same exercise so we can laugh at ourselves saying, well, you know, it's probably a good year to be on the hot seat because, you know, people are out of money and they're probably not going to make changes. Well, Vanderbilt and South Carolina fire their coaches with a good chunk of the season left. They're paying a lot of money to do it. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the financial aspect, generally speaking, is going to slow the coaching carousel any more than it would have, especially if we look at openings at powerhouses like Austin and Ann Arbor and, you know, whatever the domino effects of those may be throughout the country. Um, That's it. Virginia Tech is the ACC. They're not in the Big Ten or the SEC. They they, they don't they aren't made of money. Um, there's no at least off the top of my head, and I could be wrong here. There's no obvious can't miss candidate that you'd be in a rush to get um, who you'd zero in on if you made this decision. Uh, I think just I I refuse to believe that Justin Fuente forgot how to coach overnight because he did such a miraculous job in Memphis and looked so damn good in Blacksburg his first two years and just hasn't since. And everyone seems unhappy there. And I'm usually of the belief that if you know it's not going to eventually work out, you're not doing yourself any favors by hanging on to the guy um, and dragging this thing out another year or two. But as we mentioned, it's a complicated year at a place with some complicated dynamics when it comes to to financials of the sort. And I, I just don't know if a school like Virginia Tech can stomach that kind of money. Um when you don't have a clear-cut replacement or two. And maybe you do. I, I want to hear, and I don't want to put you in a difficult spot, but, you know, if they did make that move, I mean, what 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 comes on after that? Because they are looking at the very real possibility of four and seven with back-to-back losses to their arch rival, which hadn't happened in 15 years. And that's just not going to cut it in Blacksburg. It is interesting because uh, when you have one head coach for 30 years, like Virginia Tech with, did with Frank Beamer, it's not like there's all these tentacles or, or limbs of the coaching trees that are out there. I mean, his, no, his, prim- his, his son. Primary, <laughs> yeah, his, well, his primary assistant was Bud Foster for all those years, and he stayed. So it's not like he went elsewhere and, and that kind of grew. Uh, yeah, there's Shane Beamer that's out there, and that's a name uh, that the Virginia Tech fans uh, – I feel have maybe sort of rehabilitated his image at Virginia Tech a little bit. It maybe didn't leave in, in such high standing here as perhaps now as, as an outsider uh, that they want to come back to sort of save the program. He's somebody who's getting mentioned at South Carolina. Sounds like he's in a pretty good spot uh, to possibly get that South Carolina job. So this point might be even moot. I mean, they might name him the, the head coach there before Virginia Tech even would make a decision. Uh, on Justin Fuente. One thing with Shane, and I've never talked to him about this in my time here, but it, it's like, would you want to be the head coach at a school where your dad has a statue outside the stadium? Like forever, you will be the lesser beamer at that school. Like short of winning the national championship, that those are that's a tough shadow to be in. Those are tough shoes to fill. Uh, and I know he's very much been his own man and been his own coach going out there, and he's done so at Georgia and South Carolina and Tennessee and, and Oklahoma, all these programs. So he's gone out there and he's made a name for himself as a coach. I would genuinely be curious to hear his thoughts, and you know, he probably wouldn't come out and say them or anything <laughs> like that, about you know, if given the option between a place like South Carolina or if the Virginia Tech James job came open which one he would actually prefer because you know i've seen a lot of stuff out there as uh, south carolina is his dream job that the people have been reporting like that it's like of course you say that when you want to get the <laughs> job uh but 
I don't know if I was in his shoes. I, I don't know if I'd want to come back uh, to a place like Virginia Tech, where there there would be that lofty expectation hanging over you. And you know, oh by the way, the resources in South Carolina are probably a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, the resources in South Carolina are better, but you're also it's also harder to win there. I mean, true, true. Like you've you're South Carolina is never going to be uh, Alabama, Georgia levels, you know for a decade plus. Like, they're just not. Like, I, with all due respect to that program, like, th- their best years under Spurrier, they weren't even in major bowl games. Like, it's – there are resources there, and they have aspirations to be better than what they've been, and that's great. And I think, especially in the East, it's possible to um, win 10 games every year if you have the right guy. But, like, it really hasn't happened there for the most part of that program's history. And so I think you need to keep that into account as well. Whereas Virginia Tech, outside of Clemson and yeah, – you know, Dabble's a young guy, but I don't know if he'll be there forever. Um, the the ACC is there for the taking most years, especially the Coastal. I mean, Notre Dame's coming in one year and is, you know, completely ragdolled everyone in this league. And it's just going to say, thank you, we're going home at the end of December 19th, win or lose to Clemson. I just, I think the ACC, it's a lot easier to build and to win. Um, as far as whether he'd want to, to essentially succeed his father, uh, I think that's all about personal preference. I mean, I'm hesitant to, to say, and you know, I, I know him a little bit. We, we've had some conversations on on that deep of a level, but um, some people, that's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, look, look at Mount Union with the Karras family, right? And we're talking about Division Three here, so they're you know different um, standards and complications. But um, in some ways, that could be the greatest thing ever, and it could be the best homecoming ever, and everyone's happy again because the only extended – relevancy this program ever had was with the Beamer as a head coach. And maybe they can recreate that for another 20 years under Shane. I don't know. Um, I would tend to think you probably want to spread your wings a little bit. But again, it, it really all comes down to personal preference. And I, I couldn't tell you what's going on in Shane Beamer's mind about whether he Virginia Tech is a dream job for him or whether he, you know, thinks things would be better off as is. And, you know, you leave the Beamer legacy kind of intact uh, in Blacksburg if you don't go back there. Well, this is all making a major assumption that Virginia Tech even moves around <laughs> from Fuente. And it, I have to say, like you mentioned it before, this is a weird year. This is a pandemic year. It comes at a strange time with Fuente. I mean, when he was hired, he was the hire almost, if not number one, the number two in that coaching cycle. And the fact that the Hokies hired him and he came on, he kept Bud Foster. There seemed to be no animosity in making that transition i mean people wrote odes about this is how you transition from a coaching legend uh this is perhaps why we shouldn't judge these like two days after the guy is hired or after the press conference or two years even after the guy is hired i mean not not to cut you off but chuck culpepper had a great story in the washington post yesterday on the scenes in ann arbor Austin and Lincoln on the day their three current coaches got hired in the scenes there this past weekend. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with a power five administrator mid-season who unsolicited said, hey, Matt, when's the last time the can't miss hire actually worked out anywhere? And we both determined it was Urban Meyer in 2012 at Ohio State. At the one can't miss school. Yeah, exactly. Out there. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. I mean, I, I'm not saying don't go after the, the main guy, but like Chip Kelly at UCLA was can't miss, you know, like, Dan Mullen wasn't Florida's first choice. Scott Frost and Chip Kelly were. How's that working out for those three places right now? You know, like it's it's weird. I mean, <laughs> Fuente looked great for the first two years, so I don't want to, you know, throw a complete egg on our faces because he did a great job. But 
something's not clicking there. Well, it's weird. It's it's a pandemic year, so it's weird. He was forced to overhaul his defensive staff with Bud Foster retiring. That kind of came in a weird year. He got the Bud Foster defenses those first two years, and then didn't really get those the last two years. I, I feel like it had slipped a little on that side of the ball. Uh, curious what his thoughts about, you know, if he'd do things over again with retaining Bud mm-hmm. or just pulling the Band-Aid off right away and that whole thing. Uh, you know, there's just constant portal entries. I know a lot of these guys are lower on the depth chart and just want to play, but Quincy no, Patterson... They've had, the, they've had the more than one. anyone, right? I mean, at least over the last two and a half years. They've had a lot. They've not had a lot of guys that have gone elsewhere and really succeeded. Mm-hmm. They've really, I think Khalil Pimpleton is probably the best one at Central Michigan of guys that have gone on. They've just, there's some disconnect here about what's going on. And, you know, I think the fans are, are really in droves kind of turning against him. And, you know, at a certain point, you, you reach that tipping point with the fan base if you've lost them. And, you know, people point back to last year's Baylor flirtation. And, right. uh, you know, Frank Beamer kind of did the same thing in 2000 with North Carolina where he almost took that job and he was he's angry. He had a little more goodwill in the he bank had, then. <laughs> he, he had a bit more equity yeah. with the fan base at that point. So I, I feel like there's going to be a, a number of people that just never – forgive Fuente for that flirtation or just just don't like him I just I don't know I don't know if it gets to a, a point that it's just unsalvageable here but uh you know I see a, a pretty big loss this week coming up to Clemson and then a, a pretty big game against UVA that you know I wouldn't want to be in his shoes if he loses that right game. I mean I, I I have a hard time seeing him losing his job if he beats Virginia um I think you have if you're looking for excuses to keep him, which I would imagine most people in charge of decisions in Blacksburg are, because it's not a move you want to make, considering all the, the moving parts and the finances. I think if you beat Virginia, you should be okay. Um, and the other thing is, too, you had Andrea Adelson on here a couple weeks ago. Her and David Hale had that outstanding story looking at the fall of Florida State over the last six or seven years. There are a lot of parallels, I think, between those two programs. When you look at... Um, Succeeding a legend, a guy who was beloved, who did things pretty much one way for 30, and in Bobby Bowden's case, 40-something years. And just the culture shock that comes with this place when things are are changed up a bit. And I don't say that to say everything Justin Fuente is is fighting for or speaking about is right or wrong, but, you know— no one other than Frank Beamer has proven that he can win big at Virginia Tech. No one other than Bobby Bowden. No, I should say Jimbo Fisher, who was part of the Bobby Bowden tree. But, right. but no one other than the Bowden tree has proven they can win big at Florida State yet. And obviously Florida State has more uh, natural resources than Virginia as far as you know where they lay recruiting-wise. But you got to be careful when you're that kind of program to um, rip the court out repeatedly. Like, if you're going to fire Justin Fuente after, what, four years, right? Five years? Five years. Five years? This is year five. This You better give some runway to the next guy um, because it's not a program, I think, that can survive X number of changes over a 10-year span because it just hasn't – it doesn't have the history outside of the Frank Beamer regime uh, of performing at a high level like that. You know what I mean? Like, I just – the, the dynamics are not the same as Florida State, but I, I, I look at that story almost as a cautionary tale for fan bases that probably didn't know how good they have it because it's not like that everywhere. Like, you, you just don't have coaches stick around that long. I mean, you know, Northwestern fits probably the, the closest modern-day example active right now, but, like, that's just not normal. Um, 
And so there's going to be uncomfortable conversations and asks that happen anytime there's new blood in there. And not saying they're right, not saying they're wrong, but there is a cumulative effect when you make that uh, X no, uh, number of changes in a short period of time when it comes to recruiting, setting a foundation, establishing what kind of program you actually want to be, and so forth. So I think if you're looking to keep them, you're going to have your excuse if you beat Virginia. But if you lose to Clemson by 30-something and then you lose to Virginia, um, I have a hard time picking up the pieces from that. All right, real quickly before we get out of here, I, I do want to ask you about a couple other games in the league this week just to touch on them. Boston College at Virginia. Virginia is six-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, Phil Dracovic, uh, David Bailey are progressing. Uh, I don't know if they've been cleared to play in this game. They weren't, uh, they, they certainly weren't cleared yet. They could. Yeah, uh, Jeff Hadley spoke today, said, you know, He's, he's optimistic that they will play. Um, doesn't sound like it was anything too serious. Uh, I've got to say, hats off to Dennis Grossel. Um, he really delivered for BC at the end there um, on short notice and helping them finish off Louisville. And, you know, BC is going for – it's crazy to think about it in this context because Adazio did have some success there, but they win. They're going to have their first winning record in ACC play, I think, since 2009, um, which is not nothing. Um, you know, Jeff Halfley and those guys have done a really good job. Um, and and I, I think you need to applaud them there. Virginia is one of those teams I just never really got a read on uh, win or lose this season. I mean, I actually thought, well, they're, aside from the North Carolina win, I thought they played really well at Clemson and were an absolutely insane Andrew Booth interception away from taking them into the fourth quarter and, and putting maybe a even a marginal scare into the Tigers, which is more than anyone else does when they go into Death Valley, and which speaks to how far that program came from last year's meeting in the ACC title game with Clemson. Um, because I'm so uncertain on that game, I look at the points and think you got to go with BC, um, especially when it's their last game of the year and they're getting six and a half. Um, I think they're capable of winning outright. Um, and you just don't know how a team like Virginia or really anyone responds to showing up and getting the plug pulled from them uh, on game day and being told you're not going to play. I'm impressed by Jeff Halfley. I think he'd get some coach of the year consideration if Brian Kelly wasn't uh, lapping the field this year uh, with, with an undefeated record and the novelty of that. I think people vote for that anyway, but I feel like Boston College made a really good hire there. Virginia, I'm with you. I can't really figure it out. I mean, they had the injury to, to Brendan Armstrong earlier this year, and we're basically running you know, high school offense with gadgets and stuff like that. So that's a tough one to figure Lindell out. Lindell Stowe, number 36. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Keaton Thompson, who, like, couldn't throw, and all of a sudden he's just running because uh, he's got a shoulder but the, the The worst bad beat in the history of bad beats, did you see that two weeks ago? The pick six against Abilene Christian? Uh, yes, yes. Well, well, they got the ball back, and Lindell Stowe ran a gadget play. and I, I get physical anxiety watching those with no dog in the fight when you just know disaster's coming. Um, when you watch it, whether it's on Twitter or Sports Center, it's just like nauseating to think of like being in the shoes of someone who lost money because of something as fluky as that. But yeah, it was crazy. It's just a lesson. Don't bet on it. Don't gamble more than you can <laughs> to lose on that. Uh, two other games, real quick: Georgia Tech and NC State. NC State is a seven-point favorite. The Wolfpack could be eight and three after this if they win this i mean block a field goal to beat liberty syracuse spikes it on fourth down when they're down there i don't know if i ever saw a bigger smile on dave dorn's face than running on the field knowing they survived syracuse thanks to shenanigans they had nothing to do with um <laughs> yeah we, we've talked about nc state like how they should feel about this I, I feel like i've gotten your opinions on that georgia tech three wins i feel like that's more than most people thought they look pretty good against a, a struggling duke team last week is this uh 
feel like they have any chance in this game? I think they have a chance, definitely. I mean, I don't think NC State's good enough where you can pencil them in as automatic win over really anyone in this league this year. Um, I give Georgia Tech a chance, no question about it. Um, they had a pretty convincing and dominating win, great offensive showing against a really banged-up Duke team on Saturday night. Um, look, they fly under the radar because it's year two of what's got to be one of the biggest rebuild jobs probably in recent college football history when you look at what you were versus what you're trying to become from a, a schematic, structural, and, and program standpoint. I mean, they're not too more different humans on planet earth i think than paul johnson and jeff collins um so so it was always going to take some time there but they play hard they they play above their head um you know they've had some convincing wins this year i mean the the louisville game i mean who in the right mind would have picked them to beat louisville the way they did um coming into this year knowing what we thought we do about both teams so absolutely i think with, with a young team that's still playing hard down the stretch um against a team that has just been dying to get beat um, the last couple of weeks, I give Georgia Tech um, more than a puncher's chance to, to come out with the outright win this week. And the one game we haven't talked about this week, Miami 15-point favorite at Duke. I don't think the Hurricanes are going to have much trouble uh, in this game, even though I think them at number nine in the playoff rankings is a bit inflated. It seems generous for what they've done so far. Uh, you think they're not quite a top-10 team at this point, or are you buying? I mean, if we're... <laughs> If we're looking at the entire college football picture, which includes the Pac-12 that's played four games at most and a Big Ten, which has played six games at most, yeah, I mean, I think Miami's overall body of work probably is okay, better. Okay, compare, mm-hmm. compare them to BYU. BYU's 14th. <sighs> I mean, BYU's, un- BYU's underranked. I think they got the short end of the stick there, no question about it, but I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not on the – I'm not saying BYU is not great, but I, I don't – I think it's injustice that they're 14th, yes, but I don't know if they're like some real playoff threat that a lot of people try to make them out to be just because they're undefeated. I mean, they can only play who they can play, and, and I respect to understand that, but I don't know if I don't know if they beat Miami. I, I really don't. Um, I, th- I think Miami's a good team. They've played with fire a little bit. They seem to survive that. I don't think they're in any danger of losing a, a Duke team that wasn't that good to begin with and has been absolutely decimated by injury and a few opt-outs since then. Um, Duke will fight because that's Duke. They're they're hard nosed. They're well coached. Uh, Fifteen points at home is a lot. I mean, I think Duke's more than capable of covering, but I don't think Miami's ever going to be in danger of, of losing this game outright. Is Duke capable of pulling out of this under David Cutcliffe? I mean, they're one and seven this year in the ACC, and I know all the things you mentioned. Uh, Cutcliffe is 66. This will be a second straight year they don't make a bowl. I'm assuming they're not going to take a one and whatever team from the ACC for uh, whatever bowl games are left, or left at the end yeah. of the year. Uh, I, I'm not saying Duke's going to fire him. Duke's never going to fire anybody that did what he did sure. at this program. But I'm just curious, at that age and where the program is, is it to a point where, like, man, this is going to take a lot of work to pull out of this? Or do you think there's a, a quicker fix than the one I'm laying out here? Well, I think if you're Duke and I think if you're in the Coastal, we're not talking about Virginia Tech here, which thinks they should be in the ACC title game or at least competing for the ACC title game every year. If you do that once every five years at Duke, you'll get a statue, which David Cutcliffe probably will get there uh, when all is said and done. So I I never think you're too far away from uh, being on the upper tier of the Coastal in a normal year when you look at the makeup of that league. I mean, I don't... Don't think Pitt's on the upswing. Um, sorry, Pat Narduzzi, I just don't. I mean, I, I don't think they're in danger of anything, but I, I don't look at them as this huge can't-miss threat. Um, Virginia Tech, we just talked about. North Carolina is the team that is, is positioned to really own that division 
for the foreseeable future. And Miami's Miami's Miami. You know, they're going to fool us this year to think they're really good, and we're all going to overhype them next year. And maybe we'll be smart, and, and they'll reward our faith in them next year. But more often than not, they don't. So um, I think David Cockliffe is capable of making this an annual bowl team still for however much longer he wants to do this. Um, but that's a good question because, like you said, he is getting up there in age, and does he does he want to do this? I don't know. I I, I would guess that he does, um, and I would guess that – when you look at that program, um, I wouldn't go as far as to call them many Clemson, but like they have their own farm system there. That whole staff, for the most part, has grown up under him. Um, the GAs have become position coaches. The position coaches have become coordinators and so forth. I, I think there's something there that's sustainable and that he respects enough that whenever he feels like he can't get out of it, he can hand it over to someone on that staff and, and they could be – in decent enough shape. I mean, no matter what happens, Duke football is never going to be the same again because he took them to a place that no one thought was possible um, and has turned them, if nothing else, into a respectable opponent um, week in and week out, which is not what they were before because they were a laughingstock before he got there. We mentioned his age, but he's the sprightly youngster compared to the coach down the road there in Chapel Hill. So uh, uh, still has a, a This is true. <laughs> you know what? But Mac Brown had a few years off in the media. Um as one of us schlubs. So that, that doesn't exactly take its toll on you the way that uh, coaching Duke during that time does. Well, you certainly make the rounds on the podcast here. And Matt, we thank you for coming on. Go follow him uh, at Matt underscore Fortuna. He's been on the show four times. If he comes back, he gets a free sub. I think that's how it works. Free sub sandwich somewhere on your fifth visit. Is that Let's how do it. it. Whatever's still open, I will happily uh, do a curbside pickup and pull up my CRV and, and and get ready but yeah we need to make this happen i need to get on five times before uh the end of the year i'm thinking it's acc title game you don't want to look like you're biased with pete or grace so you should just have me to talk for both of them but i'll leave that to you you're a smart man don't look biased have the co-host of the shamrock on (laughs) (laughs) very unbiased matt fortuna thank you so much for coming on thanks andy anytime buddy All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for stopping by and listening again. Uh, Rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We love the rates and reviews. It helps get the word out and other people can listen to us. Uh, Subscribe to The Athletic. You can listen to this podcast ad-free. Go to theathletic.com slash accpod. We always have a great deal on there. That'll get you the best one. I'm going to be covering Virginia Tech against Clemson this week. Uh, follow me at Andy Bitter VT. I'll have some thoughts there in a game that I think might get a little bit ugly. We'll come back and do this again next week and talk a little bit more ACC football. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.